There's a word from the Lord in the book of Ruth. Ruth, that's the book right after the book of Judges and right before 1 Samuel, the book of Ruth. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to encourage you in your own private time with God. Get a modern translation of the scriptures and read the entire book of Ruth. It's only like four chapters. It's a wonderful love story. And I want you to hear what God's word is, is speaking to us. But let me start here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married more by women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Amen. I want to preach about single again. These are three women in the book of Ruth who had been married for a significant period of time, whose husbands preceded them in death. And now they are single again. And I know that some of us are not widows. We were married. Now we're not married anymore. You're single again. And I know when I said that title, somebody who's single again, it was a lot of joy and excitement because you're excited about the next stage of your life. And then somebody else, it brought depression and dismay and discontentment because you don't know what's going to happen in the next stage of your life being single again. And uh, it's, it's interesting here because um, we shouldn't be surprised that their husbands died before they did. Eleven out of twelve married women, your husband will precede you in death. So whether you're black, white, Latino, Asian, whatever you are, women's life expectancy is longer than men. So if you're married and you're a woman, you're more than likely going to outlive your husband and deal with whatever challenges that come with being single again. Some of us are not single again because of a dead husband, but because of a dead marriage. The husband is alive, but the marriage is dead. And now you're trying to figure out how to deal, deal with life because you're single again. Now, the first thing I want you to get from this message is you have to acknowledge when a relationship is over. So you were in a serious relationship or you were in a marriage, and, but now it doesn't exist anymore. It's finished. It's done. And you have to acknowledge that. It's, this is not what I signed up for. This is, that's over now. I'm sure that Naomi and Ruth and Orpah missed their husbands, and I wish it were the way it used to be. I wish we could go back to the good old days. No, ain't going to be no more good old days. You have to acknowledge it's done. If, if you don't face it, you can't fix it. And I know you didn't want it to happen, but it's, it's, it's finished. Now, let me say this as we move forward in this message. 
I've been saying this for 34 years. The answer to a bad marriage is not divorce. The answer to a bad marriage is meeting needs. And so if you're in a, your, your marriage is on the rocks, it's shaky and all that, and you want to make it better, the answer is not divorce. The answer is y'all evaluating each other's needs and then doing what's necessary to meet the need. It's going to turn your marriage around. But for some, it's, it's too late. It's, you're already divorced. It's already done. They've already remarried. They got kids and all that. Or you're dealing with the fact that you are a widow, that you outlived your, your spouse. And, and so, but until you, till you face it, you're not going to be able to deal with it properly. Some of us are trying to hold on to something that ain't there there no more. And I, and I hate that for you because I love family. I love being married. And I love the fact I have four sons. And now I got two daughter-in-laws. I love that. I got two grandsons. I love family life. And so I sympathize and empathize with the fact yours is not what you thought it was going to be. You thought you were going to have this fairy tale where you're going to live happily ever after and now it's the total opposite of that. But you've got to let it go. There was a woman in Lafayette, Indiana, and she gets arrested. She got arrested because her husband died. And when her husband died, she didn't call the authorities. She just left his body in the living room. So found out her husband was dead in the living room. And they arrested her because evidently it's against the law to not report a dead body. And so the, her attorney said that the court needs to be lenient towards her because she was traumatized at the death of her husband. And it had only been seven days. It had only been a week. And then CSI... Uh, came in. The crime scene investigator said, no, this stench is not from seven days. This body is decomposed for about nine months. Here's a woman that's been living with a dead man for nine months. And I hear us going, ooh, but some of us have been living with a dead man or a dead woman, dead in trespasses and in sin. Relationship is dead, it's finished, it's over, and you still in this dead situation. And the authority said the reason why she didn't tell anybody because she was still collecting his welfare check. And that's why somebody is right now with somebody dead because you're still collecting that check. And God told me, tell you, you got to acknowledge it's finished, it's done. Now it's time to move on. It's time to move on to the next phase of your life. It's time to move on to the next stage of your life. I, I wish it had lasted longer. I'm sorry it didn't work out the way you thought. But now what does that next phase of your life look like? And these three widows are showing us that. Their husbands are dead. Naomi is an older lady. She does not want to remarry. Jesus in Matthew 19 said marriage ain't for everybody. And some people understand that when they're born, they don't want to get married ever. Others find out later in life, like this woman, don't want to be married no more, Naomi. And then uh, others do it for spiritual, where they take a vow of celibacy. They can focus on the Lord, right? And so she doesn't want to get married again. She's on her way. They lived in Moab, but she's from Bethlehem, Judah. So she's going back home. And she's going back. To, she said, 
and this is all in chapter one. I'm going back to my support system. I got family there. I got friends there. I can't depend on my husband anymore. I'm, I'm going to need some help. I'm going back to Bethlehem, Judah. Well, her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth said, we're going with you. You're our mother-in-law. We love you. We're not going to let you go by yourself. We're going back there with you. And so, because they're from, they're from Moab, but they're going with their mother-in-law. On the way there, Naomi, this has been messing with her because she knows her daughter-in-laws want to get married again. So she stopped on their way, on their way to Israel. She stopped and said, wait a minute, y'all young women, y'all want, a, y'all want a man, y'all want to get married again. And I don't want to get in the way of that. Y'all going to have a better chance of remarrying in Moab because Orpah and Ruth, y'all, are probably about 25, 26 years old. Women in that time got married early. Even when we talk about the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, she got so intimate with the Holy Spirit that the Virgin Mary conceived the Son of God and gave birth to Jesus, called his name Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sin. Mary was only about 14 or 15 years old. And so when you're looking here in in the book of Ruth in chapter 1, Oprah and Ruth were probably about 15, 16 years old when they got married. They were married for 10 years. Then their husbands died. So they want to get married again. And so their mother-in-law said, y'all need to go back to Moab because you're going to have a better chance of finding a man in Moab than you are in Israel. Because when you get to Israel, the Israelites are not going to look at y'all the way the men in Moab look at y'all. And, and so Orpah was in tears. She started crying. And she kissed her mother-in-law and said, I, I, I don't want to do this, but I really, I want, I want a man. I want to get married again, so I'm going back to Moab. She reluctantly went, made that move and went back. Now, here's what, here's what Orpah did. She made a, a move for a man. This is the next phase of her life. She's single again, and she decides the move I'm going to make is for a man and went back to Moab. Then here comes Ruth. Ruth says, yes, I want a man. Yes, I want to be married again, but I'm not leaving you. I'm I'm staying with you. I'm I'm going to Israel with you. Then she pleaded with her mother-in-law and said, do not urge me to go back to Moab. Don't do that. Where you go, I'm going. Where you live, I'm living. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Where you die, that's where I'm going to be buried. That's what she told her. And she decided that I'm going on to Israel. I'm going to Bethlehem, Judah. Now watch this. Ruth is making a move based on her faith in God. Your God's going to be my God. We're talking about Jehovah, the only true and living God. So the move she's making, unlike her sister-in-law, I'm not making a move for a man in this season in my life. I'm making a move based on my faith in God and based on my support system because I got to take care of my mother-in-law. She's a part of my support system. I'm a part of her support system. I'm making a move for my family. And she's making a move for finance because there was an economic uptick, an economic upswing that was taking place over in Bethlehem, Judah. So they were making a move because we can't depend on our husbands to take care of us financially. So we got to go somewhere. We know we can get a job where we can work and we can survive and thrive. So it was a financial move. One woman made a move for a man. The other woman made a move for her faith in God, for for support of her family, 
And so she can have some financial self-sufficiency where she doesn't have to depend on a man to take care of her. I wish y'all were following what I'm saying today. Because too many are making moves based on men. This is a season in your life that you need to be figuring this thing out with God. You need to be saved. You need to believe Jesus down on the cross. God raised you from the dead. Receive him by faith. You need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. You need to be spending time in God's Word. This is a new season in your life. And you want to live out your full potential. You're not going to be able to do that without having it right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And you need to understand, you can, you can make moves without a man and get to your destination. She said, I'm, I'm making a move for purpose. I'm making a move for my faith. I'm, I'm making a move to be with the right people. Your people will be my people. I'm making a move to get in the right place. I'm going from Moab to Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, house of bread. Judah is worthy to be praised. That's where I'm going. That's the next move in her life. Because you got to be careful in this. You single again about connecting too quickly with somebody. My next move is going to be for a man. You got to slow your roll with that. Uh, my, my friend, Dr. Theron Williams, he, he got his doctorate from the University of Chicago, but all of his, all of his educational life, he is, he's uh, focused in on psychology. He says that whenever you've been in a serious, committed relationship with somebody, or you've been married, and now that relationship is over, that marriage is over, he says it takes about 10% of the time you were with them, 10% of that time to get them out of your spirit. So now you are, you were married or you were in a, a, a serious relationship and y'all ain't together no more for, for Ruth and Orpah. It was 10 years they were with them. 10% of that is one year. One year to get them out of your spirit. Y'all, here's the reason why second marriages have a higher percentage of divorce. Across the board, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Second marriages is almost as high as 70% of second marriages that end in divorce. 70%. So you single again, and you thinking about getting married, you got to slow your roll. 70% of them don't make it. Here's why psychologists and sociologists say that second marriages have a high percentage of failure. It's because the person already knows how to maneuver through a divorce. They already know how to get one. Ain't no anxiety, ain't no uh, fear. No, I already got one of these. And if you don't do right by me, I, I know I got my attorney on speed dial right now. We can settle this. So they, they say, because, so there's no anxiety or fear. They've already walked through it and all that. And then they say another reason is because they try to bounce back too quickly to be with somebody. And so they, you just got a divorce, you just broke off a serious relationship, and now you're trying to prove to your ex, I don't need you to make, I can get whoever I want. Now you're over here with this person, but you're only with this person because you're trying to prove to your ex, I don't need you, I can get whoever I want. Now how do you think that's going to work? How do you think that's going to be something healthy? You're with him to prove to him you don't need him. And so you, you just got to slow your roll. You got you to be careful in this next season of your life. And so uh, I, when I, I, I went to Florida 
And uh, Lady Sharon and I went there together. And we were flying back from Florida. Uh, and we had we'd already bought a ticket. We'd gone through security. We're sitting in our seats. Our seat belts are on. Uh, our seat's in an upright and locked position. We're ready to take off and then get to our destination, Indiana. We're ready to come home. The pilot comes over the sound system and says, we're having mechanical difficulties with the plane. Anytime I hear a pilot talk about mechanical difficulties, I pay close attention. We're having mechanical difficulties. And so we can't take off right now. Uh, we got to get this fixed in order to get you safely to your destination. Then he said this, but we know how to correct it. We know how to fix this mechanical difficulty. What we're going to do is we're going to turn the plane off. We're going to shut it down completely. Now, it's going to take some time, but the plane will automatically reset itself. And after it resets itself, then we can take off and get you safely to your destination. Pastor, why are you telling us this? Because some of y'all are having relational difficulties. And you keep trying to take off and your life keeps crashing and wrecking, and you never get to the destination you're trying to get to because you're having relational difficulties. What you need to do is shut it down. Turn it off. Just stop. It takes 10 minutes. It takes 10% of the time you were with that person, and then you will get an automatic reset, an automatic restart. Then you can take off, and you can get there safely. Do I have a witness in here? It's the next phase of your life. It's the next stage of your life, and you got to be careful because when you get to chapter 2, now Ruth and Naomi have gotten to Bethlehem, Judah, and, and, and Ruth says to her mother-in-law, i got to go get a job. i got to work because we, we don't have the resources for my husbands anymore. i got to take care of you and me. i got to make sure we can eat. So she says in chapter 2, I'm going to glean in somebody's field. I'm going to work on a farm. And so I can bring some, some, some grain, some corn, some crops, some fruit off the tree so I can take, I'm going to work. I'm trying to show you something. You got one sister that was playing the field. You got another sister that was working the field. There is a difference between playing the field and work. I'm preaching and y'all ain't getting it. There's a difference between playing the field and working the field. But the reason why... Ruth is doing this, she is going to discover that God is the greatest matchmaker. And if you don't get anything else I say out of being single again, then I, I get this. God is the greatest matchmaker. You talking about a holy hookup? God knows how to hook you up and when to hook you up. Because in chapter 2, Ruth is going to work the field. And, and she, she's not from... Bethlehem, Judah. She doesn't know anybody there. She don't know who these fields belong to. But they have a system in place that people who are doing well with their farms, when they harvest them, they have to leave some of the grain and crops there so that people who are struggling can have some food. So she says, I'm going to work the field. I'm going to glean. And she, is, she walks up on a field and she starts gathering food. It just so happens to be Boaz's field. We're going to learn in a minute that Boaz is a relative of her deceased father-in-law. And that really opens up a way for him to get to marry her. She didn't know who this was. She's just out here working in this field. 
And uh, he's a man that loves God. He's a man who's very generous and all of that. And so she's working in this field. And then Boaz, who had been out of town, he comes back. He was on a business trip. He comes back to town, didn't even go to the bank first. He didn't even meet with his managers to find out what's been going on in my fields while I was out of town. He went to the field just speaking to people in the field. Hey, how you doing? This is in the tech. God is blessing you. God loves you. And, and I'm, I'm glad I'm able to come alongside in this time. And he sees Ruth working in the field. He has an attraction for her. He starts asking, who is that? They start saying, hey, that's, that's, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. They've had some issues. and now, So they're explaining all that to her. So Ruth and Boaz hit it off. And they start getting together, not overnight, but over time. And they end up with something uniquely special. Here's what I'm trying to show you. None of that was by accident. All of that was by providence. It was not by chance that she just so happened to walk into Boaz's field. And just by chance, that's when Boaz came home and got back in the field rather than going to the bank. And just by chance, he stumbled upon her. No, that's not how that was. That was God. When you make moves for God, God makes moves for you. And God is the greatest matchmaker. We don't know what happened with Oprah. Oprah, I'm, I'm sure she found her a man and they got married and lived happily. I'm, I, I hope that's what happened. We don't know what happened. This is 4,000, 5,000 B.C. But thousands of years later, we know what happened with Ruth because God is a great matchmaker. In the book of Genesis, God took some dirt and dust and shaped it and formed it and breathed into it the breath of life and, and man became a living soul. He took that man, Adam, put him in a deep sleep, opened him up, took out a rib, closed him up, and then went and made a woman. And after he made the woman, he brought that woman unto this man. And that man said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the two became one because God is the greatest matchmaker. And I know I got a witness in here somewhere that know that God brought your spouse into your life. He's a great matchmaker. But we're so busy making moves for men and making moves for women that we miss out on the move of God. And I know why y'all not saying amen because... We, we live in a time where you got this online dating. Online dating. Now, don't be like the other two servers. They try to act like, I don't know what you mean, online dating. Yes, you do. That's a $560 billion global industry. Billion with a B. With more than 323 million users every year. And if it's more than 300 users, don't be acting like y'all ain't using. That's so, and so we go into Tinder and eHarmony and Match.com because we think they're great matchmakers. God is the greatest matchmaker. God knows how to match you with Mr. Right or Miss Right. And notice I didn't say Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect because they don't exist. But God knows how to make moves so that he connects you with the one who is right for you. You got to trust God. And some of us trust online dating more than we trust God. There was a woman, she wrote this article a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and, the, and the article was entitled, I went online looking for a committed relationship. I went online looking for love and all I found was an army of fake men. Went online 
looking for love, and all I found was an army of fake men. And she started talking about online dating. And people are on there with fake photos, fake profiles, fake people. They even now teach you how to identify a fake photo and a fake profile. Because some of us are going on there looking for love and getting catfished with fake people. And it's not just online either. You need to slow your roll because all the fake people are not online. There are fake people on your job and fake people in your neighborhood and fake people at church. Trust God in this process. And so, so here, here, is, here is Boaz. Boaz is so awesome, y'all. Boaz is a man who loves God. He's generous to the poor. All this is in, in chapter 2 and 3. Generous to the poor. And um, this is a man of faith. He's a wealthy man. He knows how to manage money. And he, he's, he's attracted to Ruth. And they connect. They end up getting married and all that. He's so awesome until thousands of years later, there are Christian women conferences that focus on waiting for your Boaz. That's how great he is. Thousands of years have passed. Christian women are putting on conferences and they spend five days teaching women how to wait on your Boaz. Somebody with faith and somebody who trusts God, somebody that's generous and let somebody know how to manage money. Wait on your Boaz. But I hope they spend in those five days understanding Boaz is waiting on his roof. Boaz ain't after just any woman. She's after a man with character and conduct. He's after a woman that's got some character and certain conduct as well. And it's God making this thing happen. Because how in the world did Boaz get attracted to Ruth anyway? What attracted him to her? He goes out in this field. There's a bunch of people in that field. It's a bunch of women out there trying to make it survive and thrive for their families. And, and he gets stuck on Ruth. What, what's that about? One of the things that attracted him to her, she was fine. She was a beautiful woman. And that physical attraction was there. I already know why y'all not saying amen. Because somewhere in Christian history, Christians decided that beauty is not important. I don't know when it happened. But we downplay the beauty of a woman. I don't know when that happened. Y'all, when, when, when God got finished shaping and making Eve, I told you what, what, what Adam said. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, because she was fine. She was beautiful. And then Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was so fine. Sarah was fine even into her old age. She was beautiful even as an older woman. Abraham and Sarah went to a community, and she was so fine until Abraham lied and said, that is not my wife, that's my sister. Because she was so beautiful, he thought the men were going to kill him so they could get to his wife. And then when you get into the book of Job, Job chapter 1, he had 10 children, they all died. But in Job chapter 42, he had 10 more children. Seven sons, three daughters. And it says in Job chapter 42 that his daughters were the most beautiful women in that entire land. Song of Solomon chapter 1, there's an African sister in there. She says, I'm black and beautiful. So we go from bone of my bone to this ain't even my wife, this my sister because she's so fine. We go from being the most beautiful women in all the land to I'm black and beautiful 
to 21st century Christianity. But see, that ain't important because I got Jesus in my heart. And No, he was attracted to her beauty. She was fine. And I'm not, I'm not talking about some, some fake and phony Miss America beauty contest. I'm talking about being the most beautiful you you can be, understanding who you are and letting that show. Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but sometimes we don't look like it. And we're mad at some dude. Because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. He thinks you're beautiful, but you don't think you're beautiful. I told my son, all of them grown, I told my sons, when they were coming up, I, you know, I had to teach them about women and girls and all that. I said, listen, son, you do need a woman that knows Jesus. You need a Christian. You need somebody with the same God, same Jesus, same Bible, same scripture. But you need somebody who who's, you're physically attracted to. Because you want somebody you want to go home to. I don't know why y'all ain't helping me preach this. It was a physical attraction. And you want to know what Boaz was attracted to, to Ruth? It's because of her work ethic. He went in that field, saw them people working. He said, who is that fine woman there? Oh, that's Ruth. That's Naomi's daughter-in-law. Here's what they told him. She's been here working all day with one break. I know this is the great resignation. I know we're trying to find balance between life and work. And I'm just trying to tell you, homeboy was attracted to her because of her work ethic, because she could work all day with one break. And after they started connecting with each other, he's a multimillionaire. She didn't quit her job. Because why would you quit your job? Because he's rich. Y'all ain't helping me with this. Why are you going to quit your job because somebody else got some money? That don't make no sense. That was an attraction to him, her compassion for her mother-in-law, her taking care of her family. He saw all of that, and the list goes on and on. It meant something to him, and he decided that he wanted to marry her. And even before he asked for her hand in marriage, Ruth had already gone to her mother-in-law and said, uh, I, I, think, I think Boaz is interested in me. I think he wants to marry me. And she's trying to get some advice and counsel from an older woman of faith. She didn't go to her peers and say, he's trying to get with me, girl, what do you think I should do? No, she went to an older woman with faith and wisdom. What do you think? We're in chapter 3 if you're trying to follow me. Here's what the older woman, who's from Bethlehem, Judah, she's from the hill country. And she said, okay, uh, let, let me tell you how to get a man like this, because I don't want you to blow this. He's a good man, and if he's interested in you, I don't want you to mess it up. Here's what she told her. She told her three things. She told her, take a bath, put on some perfume, and put on some nice clothes. All that's in chapter 3. Put, take a bath, put on some perfume, put on some... I was trying to figure out, is this literal? Is, he, is this a literal piece here? Is, he, is she telling her to... You need to watch your hygiene. You need to wash up, take a bath, put on some perfume because men are stimulated by sight and smell. Give him something to see, give him something to smell, and then put on some clothes. Put on. So I'm trying to figure out, is this, is this literal or is this figurative? Is this an illustration? Is, is this something in the physical trying to get us to understand something in the spiritual that now you're connecting with a particular man 
and you need to understand we ain't all the same. You're from Moab, Ruth, where those, that's a low land. Those men are at a low level. You're in the hill country now. You're in a high place now. You're in Bethlehem, Judah. You're in Beth, the house of bread worthy to be praised. And the men at this level, like Boaz, are not like the low-level men you've been accustomed to in Moab. I wish y'all were following me. That's why the first thing she told her, take a bath, wash up. You come from a place that they, those men like dirty women. They like nasty women. But you at another level, y'all ain't helping me. <laughs> you at another level now because there's some men who like their women clean. And if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just. He'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. She told her, you got to make sure you're clean. You, you, you're dealing with a man that like clean women. And then put on some perfume. Because you, you need to affect the environment in a positive way. When you come into a room, things ought to change for the positive. You put on some perfume. You ought to affect the atmosphere because you can't build a home with a messed up environment. Put on some perfume. You don't want your husband driving around y'all's neighborhood for an hour trying to figure out a reason to go home. Get that environment right. Get clean. And then watch what, he, watch what she told her. And then put on some nice clothes. I know you're from a low-level place where men like you with your clothes off. You at another level now. You're in house of bread, worthy to be praised. You in the hill country now. These men like women who understand the appropriate places to leave your clothes on. Y'all ain't saying amen. They would dress with their head covered all the way down to their feet, everything was covered except their eyes because these are not the kind of men looking for nasty, dirty women who take their clothes off anywhere. They're looking for clean women with some faith that can affect the environment that know when to keep their clothes on. Preach, Jeffrey Johnson. I am preaching. God is the greatest matchmaker. God worked all that out, not by accident, but by providence. And let me get to the last thing, and I'm finished. The last thing is this, because they end up getting married, chapter 4, and they have a baby. Everybody's celebrating Naomi, the grandmother, because you lost both sons. Now, Ruth is giving you a grandson. Everybody's all happy. But here's what I want you to see for the last point, and that is God has a way of navigating the circumstances of life to make sure you get Jesus in your family. All that stuff that happened in Ruth's life, her husband died. She had to make a move. She had to go work in the field. All this stuff that was going on in her life, that was God navigating the circumstances of life so that Ruth would get Jesus in her family. I'm not saying that God arranged for her husband to die, but he allowed it to happen. And all that, went, all that took place so that she would get Jesus in her family. I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, I have read the book of Ruth. I'm familiar with all four chapters of Ruth. And Pastor, I don't see no Jesus in the book of Ruth. Yes, you do. 
Y'all don't see Jesus in the book of Ruth? Go back and read it again. In chapter 4, the last few verses talk about genealogy. So-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so begot so-and-so. Y'all, that's where you see Jesus in that. Because God was working it so that Jesus would get in this family. See, because some of us, we come to the Lord's house, but we don't let the Lord in our house. So God says, oh, I know how to get in your house. I'm going to make certain moves. So you have to let me in. Pastor, I don't see Jesus here. Okay. Uh, Boaz and Ruth got married. Then they had a son. They named him Obed. Obed grew up. He got married. He had a son. He named him Jesse. Jesse grew up. He got married. He had a bunch of sons. The youngest one, he named David. David became the king of Israel. In that lineage, we talk about the son of David, in that lineage comes Jesus. Had God not connected Boaz and Ruth, Jesus never would have been in that family because God is making moves so you open up and let Jesus in. Do I have a witness in here? I got to close it. I got to close it. I got to close it. Some of y'all, I know you're single again, but don't, don't let the messed up stuff that happened in your life keep you messed up for the rest of your life. You were with somebody talking about you ain't nobody and you ain't nothing. I'm the only one that wants you. Ain't nobody else going to want you. You ought to be glad I'm with you. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. Geno Smith played in the NFL for 10 years, going from team to team, traded and just all kind of stuff in his life. But he ended up with the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith is quarterback. Right now, they say he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. He has a better percentage of passing than any quarterback in the league. And Geno Smith, they were interviewing him about what he's doing now. After 10 years, he finally started, and they went in games. They're first in their division. Geno Smith said, they wrote me off, but I ain't write them back, though. That's bad grammar. That's a good worldview. Folk may write you off, but don't you write them back, though, because God has something in store for you in the next season of your life. I'm going to close it. Let me close. Oh, I went back to Miami. I know I go to Miami a lot. One day I'm going to go to Miami, and I ain't coming back. I'm just going to fly down there, and I'm done. I went to Miami, and um, this was years ago. And the first thing I do when I get to Miami is I rent a car. I always rent a Ford Mustang. I like Ford Mustang convertibles. This one happened to be candy red, black interior, black drop top. So the first thing I do is get a convertible. The next thing I do is go straight to the hotel or resort that I'm going to stay in because I don't want to get distracted and then I ain't got nowhere to live. So I go straight to my hotel and, and I, I check in and get my stuff in the room. So I pull up at the hotel and the valet man says, do you want me to park your car? Yeah, but keep it close. I'm going to check in put my bag down, change clothes, I'm heading to South Beach, keep it close. He said, I do the best I can. So uh, he takes my keys, he drives the car away, I go in, I check in, I go up to the room, I drop my bag, I change clothes, I call the valet, please bring my car around, I'm headed to, I'm, 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 taking, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And so he says, all right, your car be down here when you get here, I'm coming down right now, okay? So I get down there, my car ain't there. And I'm standing there waiting on this man to grab my car around. Significant time is passing. I'm wondering what's up. He comes walking. I can see him walking from the parking garage without my car. He says, sir, we have a problem with your car. I said, I've only been here 20 minutes. 
We had no problem 20 minutes ago. I understand, but we have a problem with your car now. I said, well, what's the problem with the car? He said, your car has a flat tire. I said, man, that ain't no problem. I can solve that problem. Give me the keys. I'll change my own flat tire. I go down there. It, just like he said, there's my car. It looks good. It's beautiful. But it's got a flat tire. I ain't tripping. I open the trunk. I take the jack out. I take out the spare tire. Now, I jack it up. I, I take the lug nuts off, and I take the tire off. I go to put the spare tire on. It doesn't fit. How can Hertz rent a car, rent me a car, and, and the, tie, the spare tire doesn't fit? So it's all jacked up. I just left it like that, the tire. I, did. I got on the phone, called Hertz. I said, y'all done messed this thing up. Y'all rented me a car. It's flat. The spare tire doesn't fit, and now I'm here stranded. Mr. Johnson, we are so sorry. We're going to take care of that for you. Accept our policy. We're going to take care of it. We're going to send somebody to where you are and take care of this problem. It was about an hour and a half. And, and here comes somebody from Hurst Rent-A-Car pulling up. I thought they were going to come with a tire that could fit the car. They didn't come with a tire. They came with a new car. Candy apple red, black interior, black drop top brand new, handed me the keys and said, we're sorry at, for the delay, but here is a new car for you. I didn't run back to the garage and go, you know what, you said we were going to spend time together and we came here together and now you're sitting in here, I don't know why you won't go with me and we need to stay. I didn't do that. I turned my back on that because it was flat, jacked up, and didn't fit. And I learned as a kid, if it don't fit, don't force it. Just relax and let it go. Come on, stand with me.